I have a couple of things I want to remind you of. Um, one is uh, every year we've been having a uh, Christmas dinner for both congregations to come together. And so that will be uh, this coming Saturday night, 6 p.m., uh, here at the field house. And uh, uh, it's uh, just a, all it is is a free buffet. We'll have turkey and ham and dressing and green bean casserole and, and uh, uh, desserts like uh, coconut pie, uh, homemade pecan pie, uh, homemade chocolate pie. Uh, so if you like pie, uh, this is a place to be Saturday night at 6 p.m. Uh, and by the way, there's no agenda, there's no big program or anything. We just meet, uh, this is from our family to our church family. So we're just saying Merry Christmas to you, God bless you, and we love serving you, and, and uh, come and eat with us. Well, we're looking, we're, we started last Sunday uh, our series, uh, stewardship series. We try to do this uh, each year. And uh, at least uh, three or four messages on the subject of our stewardship to God. And uh, one of the questions we always get is the tithe. Should a Christian tithe? New Testament Christian, but isn't tithing in the Old Testament. So let's go to Genesis uh, chapter 14. We'll begin this morning with a strange figure in the Old Testament named Melchizedek. Genesis chapter 14. And uh, I'm going to just read two or three verses here. We'll start in verse 18. Let me give you a little bit of background though. Abraham, he's one of the main figures in the Old Testament, considered the father of our faith father of the Jews, even the Muslims claim him as the father of Islam. But uh, he's a peace-loving man, but his, his uh, nephew Lot has been kidnapped by marauders, and they have taken him away, and Abraham gets members of his household, the men of his household together, and they go and they rescue Lot. He defeats these kidnappers and brings home his nephew Lot. And on the way, there he comes across a high priest from Shalom, Jerusalem, probably Jerusalem, but it's or Salem, we would call it. And you pick this up in verse 18 of Genesis 14. Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. And he was a priest of God Most High, and he blessed him, and he said, Blessed be Abraham by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. Verse 20, And blessed be God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. Everybody needs priesthood. 
priesthood is vital for our relationship to God. I mean, we sense this when we go to pray. We feel unworthy. We, a lot of times we get people, we want someone to pray for us. And in the Bible, you didn't go directly to God. You went through a priesthood, a mediator, a go-between. Jeremiah, in chapter 30, verse 21 Put it like this, a ruler will come from their midst and I will cause him to draw near and he will approach me. For who would dare of himself to approach to me, declares the Lord. Who goes in front of God? He is in heaven, we are on earth. He is holy, we are sinful. He is infinite, we are so mortal and finite and weak. Who would, he says, who would dare? I will cause him to approach, make it possible to approach. For else, who would dare approach? Me. We sense this in our own hearts. Job 9 put it like this. Job 9.32, Job said, God is not a man like I am that I might answer him, that we might come to trial. And there is no arbiter no mediator between us who could lay his hand on both of us and bring us together. Job needed a mediator. He needed a priesthood. And so we, we sense this, that God and us, we're, we're not equals. We're not buds. God, the creator of the heaven and earth, I am but a part of the creation. So I need some kind of buffer, spiritual buffer. Well, Abraham had a mediator, Melchizedek, whose name means the king of righteousness. And he's a priest, verse 18 says, of the Most High God. And it's, it's interesting because he seems to... Uh, picture uh, Jesus Christ. For example, in uh, verse 18, Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. Well, that's interesting because that's the communion service. And then it says that he was both a king and a priest in verse 18. That's also interesting because in the Old Covenant, you you had your, your kings and you had your priests and you didn't, one person didn't hold both offices. But of course, Jesus does. So he's, he's like Jesus in that regard. And then he was able to bless God and man. Look at verse 19. He blessed him, that is Abraham, saying, Blessed be Abraham by God most high. And then in verse 20, he blesses God. And blessed be God most high who delivered your enemies into your hand. So he's, he's on good terms with God, good terms with Abraham, thus a mediator, a kind of bridge between the two. Now this picture of Jesus Christ here, 1 Timothy 2.5 says, There is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. And I want to point out one other thing. 
about this. Abraham gave him a tenth, but actually a couple of things here. But this tenth was not in order to be blessed. Did you notice that? Look at verse 19. He, Melchizedek, blessed him, Abraham, and said, Blessed be Abraham. Then in verse 20, at the end of verse 20, Abraham gave him a tenth. He didn't tithe to be blessed. He tithed because he'd been blessed. He's not going into battle and wanting to give an offering in order to be on good terms with God. No, he's already been to battle. He's coming home from battle with the spoils of war, and he's saying, I want, I, I appreciate and I acknowledge the priesthood and meteor, mediating of this Melchizedek, and I want to give legitimacy and show value and financial support to this priesthood to whom I owe the victory. So he's not tied. See, this is not under the law. Uh, give me the one with the, the, the diagram of Melchizedek. Melchizedek, most commentators will put him around 1900 years before Christ. Well, that's Genesis. Exodus has Moses bringing the people of Israel out of Egypt and establishing a priesthood under Aaron of the tribe of Levi. The tribe of Levi became the priestly tribe in Israel under the Old Covenant. Well, Melchizedek precedes them by nearly 500 years. So the, he, Abraham's not under the law. You know, if you don't tithe, you'll have a flat tire on the way home. You'll be cursed. Yeah, if you're under the law, but Abraham's not under the law. Ab Melchizedek precedes the law. He's outside the law. So, he is not required. There's no... Melchizedek's not standing there with his hand out saying, okay, Abraham, time to tithe. Otherwise, you'll be cursed the next time you go out to battle. No, Abraham is voluntarily from his uh, heart from blessings already given, tithing unto God. So let me put some of you at ease, because I know you're thinking, oh, we're going to get the tithing sermon. Hey, you know what? You're not going to be asked to tithe because God says to tithe. You're not going to be required to tithe. There are churches that actually do require a tithe. They send you a bill in the mail. Yo, I was going to introduce that to our congregation, but it got voted down sometime. No, I'm just kidding. We are already blessed, dear people. We don't tithe to be forgiven. Forgiveness doesn't wait on my paycheck. We've already been forgiven through Jesus Christ. We don't have to pay to pray. We can pray to pay. 
<laughs> no, I mean, really, you don't pay to pray. You pray for God to bless you so that you can tithe, so that you can give more, so you can do things. You don't pay to pray. You pray to pay. That should be on a T-shirt. We have the promises and the comforts of Scripture already in our possession. We have daily mercies and continual goodness. We don't buy them. But what about those of us who say, I, I, I appreciate everything God does, who daily loads me with His many benefits, who gives me victory in the spoils of war. I want to do something for this God and the priesthood who took me there. I want to legitimize it. I want to confess it with more than my mouth. I want to undergird it. I want to support it. I want to extend it and expand it, and I want others to enjoy it. The tithe. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Uh, any amens at all? Or Oh boy, it's a rough crowd this morning. So Melchizedek received tithes from Abraham, verse 20, after Abraham returned from the victory and had already been blessed. And he acknowledged the legitimacy of this priesthood. He honored this priesthood and he provided financial and material support for this priesthood. And by his tithe, he was saying, this priesthood explains my victory. Now let's go over to Hebrews chapter 6. And verse 20. Hebrews chapter 6. And verse 20. The last verse of Hebrews 6. And then we'll go into chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 6 verse 20. Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Ah. Now chapter 7 is an explanation of what that means. Jesus is a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. He tells the story in, in chapter 7, verse 1. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God met Abraham as he was returning from the slaughter of the kings, and he blessed him. And to him Abraham apportioned a tenth part of everything. So here is a reference to Genesis 14, in which he brings up Abraham and Melchizedek and points out the fact that he tithed. Look at verse 3, Hebrews 7 verse 3. He, that is Melchizedek, is without a father or a mother or a genealogy and doesn't have beginning of days or end of life, but resembles the Son of God. In other words, there's no connection, there's no obvious beginning of Melchizedek. We don't know where he came from. And there's no narrative that describes his death, so we don't know how he ended. 
It just says he resembles Jesus like this because he came out of nowhere. He has no genealogical background. He, he is not from the tribe of Aaron or the Levites. He's not under the law. He has a priesthood that is apart from the old covenant. So, and, and Abraham legitimized that priesthood when he tithed to it. But he is like Jesus' priesthood. That's what he's saying in verse 3. And then <clears throat> look at verse 4. <clears throat> verse 4. See how great this man was. <laughs> I love that. See how great this man was to whom Abraham the patriarch gave a tenth of the spoils. How do you know Melchizedek was a great high priest and a legitimate one? Because Abraham tithed to him. That is, gave him a tenth of the spoils. Melchizedek's priesthood and his greatness is seen in that the great patriarch Abraham tithed to him. He even points out, and it gets a little sticky here. I think I understand what he's saying. But look at verse 9. One might even say Levi, that's the priestly tribe under the Old Covenant. You could even say Levi, who receives tithes under the Old Covenant, but with Abraham, he, you could even say he paid tithes to Melchizedek because he was still in the loins of Abraham when Melchizedek met him. Abraham was the father of all Israel. The Levites came from him. The next generations produced the 12 tribes of Israel. They all came from Abraham. So there's a sense in which, if you can follow this, the Old Covenant priesthood, the tribe of Levi, was in the loins of Abraham. The DNA was in Abraham. And when Abraham tithed to Melchizedek, it's as if, verse 9 is saying, and 10, that Old Testament Judaism and its priesthood recognize the greatness of the New Testament Jesus and his priesthood because he's tithing to Melchizedek. Do you all follow that? Does that make sense? There's, it's like I would say, I honored Billy Graham. 40 years ago, I walked up to him and I told him how much I appreciated him. I got a chance to just say a word to him. In a sense, my children who were not yet born were honoring Billy Graham at the same time because they were in my loins. Okay, I don't need to expand on that, do I? But they were in me. So that... Cause what is, See how great this man is. The priesthood of the Old Covenant paid homage to the priesthood of the New 
in Jesus. See how great this man is. And I told some people one time, you know what that means? That means Jews who still tithe today to their synagogues should be sending it to the local Baptist church. Because we preach the Melchizedek priesthood. And it's the superior priesthood. What's the proof? Abraham, in whom all the Jews were tithed unto Melchizedek, the picture who resembles the Son of God. See how great this man is. <laughs> if y'all can get that, that that's, that's funny. Not funny like comp comedic funny, but funny like kind of weird and inspiring. Jews tithing to the church. Oh yeah, that's another t-shirt. To summarize, we would say this. There are two priesthoods in the Bible. The Melchizedek order and the Old Covenant Aaron's order. The tribe of Levi. Aaron was a Levite. The one, Melchizedek, is superior for we see that even Abraham tithed to Melchizedek. And he did it before the law even existed and all Jews were in Abraham including the entire Mosaic priesthood. So that's why you have verse 9. One might even say Levi who receives tithes paid tithes to Melchizedek through Abraham for he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. These two priesthoods existed at the same time. But once Moses came into Egypt and brought the people of Israel out of bondage, the order of Aaron took precedence and Melchizedek order faded into the background. But when Jesus came, the Melchizedek order of priesthood swept away the Levitical order. So that the only priesthood today is the Melchizedek order, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And it is so superior to the Levitical priests. Uh, let me, uh, let's drop down, and I think we've got these verses we can give to you here. Uh, there, I'm, I just listed four of them, there's probably more, but here's four things in which the Melchizedek or Christian priesthood is superior to the Old Covenant Levite priesthood. Here's number one. Chapter 7 of Hebrews and verse 20. It, that is the Melchizedek priesthood, was not without an oath. For those who formerly were priests were made such without an oath. That is the Old Covenant priest didn't have an oath. Verse 21, but this one was made a priest. This one, Melchizedek, was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him. And then here he quotes Psalm 110 about the Melchizedek priesthood. Here's what he says, Hebrews 7, 21. The Lord has sworn and will never change his mind. You are a priest forever. The Lord has sworn. He took an oath. 
and said this priesthood. And by the way, let me just throw this out there for you. There are some who say there will be a rebuilt temple and a revived Old Covenant priesthood under Aaron's order, the Levitical priest. But I tell you, God took an oath. The Lord has sworn He will not change His mind. You're a priest forever. God is never going back to the Old Covenant priesthood under the Levites. He swore it's never, ever going to happen. So the only priesthood that is now available and will ever be available is the Lord Jesus Christ of whom Melchizedek in Genesis 14 was a prototype and a picture. Now, that's something you can ponder. You say, well, what if they rebuild the temple over in Jerusalem? So? I'm not going to go over there and sacrifice, are you? I have a priest already that God swore an oath he'd never give up. So I think I'm going to stick with that one. Uh, Talking about Jesus. So that's one superiority. God has an oath. These others, verse 20, he says, those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath. Old covenant, they never had an oath. This one has an oath. And he quotes from Psalm 110. Here's a second superiority to the Old Covenant Levitical priests. Verse 23, Hebrews 7, verse 23. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing. Everybody died in the Old Covenant priesthood. But this new priesthood under Jesus, the Melchizedek order, never dies. Hebrews 7, 23. The former priests were many in number because they prevented by death. Verse 24. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues permanently. He continues forever. Verse 25. Consequently, he's able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. He lives forever, therefore you will live forever. Your salvation is not rooted in the mortality of your priesthood. And by the way, let me say this. Uh, While I'm on the subject, a lot of people put their anchor in their favorite pastor's front yard. Boy, I love that pastor. Oh, I'm I'm growing so much. He He is everything I need. And then he dies. Well, or he moves. Or retires. You do not need to fear. You have a high priest after the order of Melchizedek who is permanent forever. Hallelujah. Do you know your next pastor may be ten times better than me? I doubt it, but it's possible. (laughs) I'm kidding. But no, I'm telling you. It transcends the mortality of men. Praise God. He's an ever-living priest and is able to save to the uttermost. There's no mortal man that saves you. Your high priest after the order of Melchizedek. 
A third superiority of the Levitical priest is chapter 7, verse 26. And that is, he is a sinless one. I love this. He says, it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest who is holy, innocent, unstained, separate or different from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those other high priests, to offer sacrifices daily for his own sins. He doesn't have to go to God and say, "Uh, Lord, would you forgive me? No, he has a permanent acceptance and sinlessness before God. I want my high priest who represents me and is my mediator to not get down in the gutter with me, but lift me up and elevate me to where he is. And so he is a high priest who has no stain within or without. A fourth superiority is that he is the perfect son. Verse 28 For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priest, but the word of the oath, once again quoting Psalm 110 there, came later than the law, appoints a son who's been made perfect forever. If I was going before a judge, I would want my lawyer to be a perfect son to this judge. That's your mediator. And so, when we tithe or give a tenth of our income to Jesus Christ on a weekly basis we are saying look how great this man is amen remember that he says in chapter 7 verse 4 See how great this man was to whom Abraham the patriarch gave a tenth of the spoils. The the tithe is saying, not with our mouth, but with our money, see how great this mediator is. See how great this high priest is. See how great this go-between is. See how great this Savior is. See how wonderful and perfect and sinless and glorious that Jesus Christ is to me. And I'm saying it with the tithe. This Savior stands perfectly between the sinner and the Most High God. And I, along with everyone else, need a mediator, a priest. And Jesus is that wonderful, sinless mediator, arbiter, and Savior He saves to the uttermost because he ever lives. And I would just add this. The tithe not only says and confesses that and exhibits that, but the tithe enables the ministry and the priesthood of Christ to be established firmly in the earth. It it makes the church into a place where you have a stable ministry of Jesus Christ and his priesthood. And another reminder, we do not tithe to be blessed. Abraham didn't tithe to be blessed. He tithed because he'd been blessed. Not because he commands us as in the old covenant, but because he deserves it as in the new. He died for me. 
He was raised for me. Therefore, I not only voluntarily tithe, but I joyfully do so, gratefully do so, happily do so. Should be a happy moment when we say, let us receive the offering. So just some final thoughts. There are some things that are just more important than my 10%. I mean, one time a man said to me, it was years ago, he said, you know, with the tithe I pay, I could buy a car. I could make a car payment every month. There are some things more important than your car or a better car or a newer car. Some things are just more, more prioritized. And the, the establishing in the earth of the high priesthood of Christ is one of them. Because this is eternal. God has sworn with an oath, you will always be a priest forever. Now that's investing in eternity not just in a car that will lose 20% of its value when you drive it off the lot. That's a pretty big markdown. Or a house, or clothes. With, with that 10%, we're putting it into that which is eternal because some things are more important than what that 10% would buy my pleasures. Many people are rich in things that at any moment a flood, a fire, a thief, or rust, or disease, or a divorce, or a lawsuit can take away and are no more. They're, all their money goes to those things. The ministry of Christ, the priesthood of Christ, access to God, giving ourselves and our children and our neighbors and friends and, and family access to God and establishing that in the earth, that is number one, 10%. And I add this, children should be taught to tithe. They babysit, make 20 bucks. They need to be taught. Two dollars of that should go to the tithe. Now the church probably won't fold if they don't give two dollars. But we're trying to teach children about the importance of Christ and eternal things. Uh, uh, young people should all get one of those jars out there. I mean, it's a jar. You fill it up with, with change through the month of December and then you bring it into the church and we give it to help establish a home for young people who have been trafficked or molested or abused sexually because they haven't all been blessed and protected like you have. So you, you fill that little jar up. Every young person ought to get one of those. I'm just saying. I'm not going to come over and check. You got your jar? But I just think that it ought to be. We ought to train, teach our children to participate in the things that are eternal.
And I would say finally that I think the tithe is a test. Jesus often used money to test people. Remember the rich young ruler came to Jesus and said, Hey, I'm keeping the commandments the best I understand. And Jesus looked at him. He loved him. That's what it says in the text. He, he looked at this young, rich young ruler and he loved him. And Jesus said to him, I tell you what, if you want eternal life, let, let, let's do this. Go sell everything you have and give it to the poor. Now Jesus doesn't really require that to have eternal life. We know that. But for this rich young ruler, he laid down the gauntlet because he knew his heart was so wrapped around his goods and prosperity and financial security that he could not serve both God and his, follow his lifestyle. So he said, let's ditch all this and just follow the Lord and you will have eternal life. And he went away sad because he had so many goods. It's a test. It's just a test. Jesus is just revealing his heart. What's in your heart? I believe Jesus is the only way to heaven and his priesthood is glorious. Okay, here's the tithe. Here's the basket. Oh, okay, well, here, okay, here you go. It's a test. Anybody can say it, but who will say, Lord, I want this priesthood. I I see how great you are. And like Abraham, I put my tithe in because I want to express it and prove it that it's in my heart truly, not just in my mouth. That's what the tithe does. And so the church can pay its bills. Yes, it can do that. Um, the church can give to its foreign missions offering when people tithe. We have in December called the Lottie Moon Christmas offering we, where every penny of that offering goes to foreign missions to preach the gospel that's extending the priesthood of Christ. The church, uh, we have a, a children's building that is, uh, we're receiving funds for that if anybody wanted to give to that and, and by the way I think I have a, a very good announcement for you next Sunday we'll, we'll save it for next week but there are other things outside of our own lives like have you all heard of James Robison and how he digs wells he just provides water for, for young children in Africa I would love to see our church participate in his ministry if you, to, to give a cup of cold water in his name, you will not lose your reward, Jesus said. Something as simple as that. But there are things that we can do that's outside ourselves that will bless the lives and extend the priesthood of Christ so that our faith is not just words, but truly deeds, loving in word and in deed. So... As we did last Sunday, I want us to receive our offering this morning. And uh, so, guys, if you'll come, and Elizabeth, if you'll come and 
and uh, play softly for us here or, or sing softly for us. And, uh, and let's join Abraham and let's say, see how great this man, Jesus, truly is. Let's pray. Father, in all sincerity today, I thank you for the privilege of participating and investing in the priesthood, the glorious, glorious priesthood of our Melchizedek, Jesus Christ. I thank you, God, for the privilege of it. Glory to your name. And I pray the Holy Spirit would come and and join our hearts together as we declare today, see how great this man is. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.